Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Bad Sports Show. Today I'm joined by Dr. Owen Murray from UA92. Uh, Dr. Murray is the course lead for sport and we are going to talk about a couple of issues that have popped up this week. Uh, the first being the advice for athletes heading to China uh, to take burner phones uh, and some of the concerns around surveillance from the Chinese government. Um, the second story we're going to talk about is a former Newcastle player, uh, Chancel Mbemba, who has been at Porto recently and um, I think uh, we'll discuss in a bit more detail, but it sounds like Porto are questioning the age of the player and, and trying to terminate his contract. And the last one is, this is a story that's that's come up again this week, but it's by no means exclusive to Alexander Song, uh, the former Barcelona midfielder and Arsenal midfielder, who has come out to say that um, basically once he was a millionaire, he really didn't give... Uh, his words were uh, F-U-C-K, uh, but this is a clean podcast, so I won't say that out. Um, once he'd become a millionaire, but we will talk about athletes' motivations and whether it really matters if an athlete cares as long as what they're doing on the pitch is um, to a suitable lev level. So, uh, how you doing, Owen? Welcome uh, back to the show. Thank you for uh, joining us today. Afternoon, John. Um, thanks for having me again. Um, hopefully, I haven't put you or too many others to sleep during the, the, the last session. Um. Oh, your, your dulcet Irish tones, mate, I'm sure are a pleasure to everybody's ears. <laughs> but uh, no, all good, thanks. Uh, looking forward to getting our teeth into, into a couple of topics there. Uh, some very interesting and multi-layered ones, to say the least. Yeah, absolutely right. Let's jump into the first one then. So, uh, the this issue of burner phones in China. Um, now, my understanding is that lots of US organizations actually advise this as standard, but um, this is the first time I've seen athletes uh, receiving the the advice to, to drop their phones or to take some kind of disposable phone with them to China. What's, um, what's your understanding of, of the information athletes are receiving? Yeah, um, understanding so far or the initial conceptualization was it was labeled all things COVID, uh, COVID monitoring needed for um, daily aspects reporting, I guess, essentially track and trace uh, would be common language people would be familiar with. Things that when I was reading in around this area, um, the duration lead up into the event where they require it on their phones, the information that they are required to input, and also then that sort of censorship concerns around what actually is it tracking. So yes, if it was for COVID, I can 100% understand, but it seems to be multi-layered, um, particularly around all things that may be deemed politically sensitive. Yeah, I, I like how much politically sensitive activities are we expecting these athletes to be um, to be getting up to? I guess I, um, I'm not really sure on on what the motivation is behind, uh, like from from a COVID perspective. Again, it's a it's a mobile phone. Like it's not a it's not a like a biological sample that they're taking into the country. So it does it does seem a bit of an unusual one. Um, so. I guess if you were an athlete, put yourself in their shoes, what would you be thinking with this kind of advice? The initial one would be apprehension. 
Um, as you mentioned, some individuals advise this sort of actions, others not, but I've never seen it attached to Olympic Games and directly targeted at athletes in, in the lead-up. Would definitely cause apprehension and also maybe a little bit of worry, may distract them from competition, etc., given the fact that these burner phones, and if I understand it correctly, are not the most technologically advanced pieces of equipment, and that's why obviously they're preferred for limited tracking, etc., that athlete may be thinking of how he or she is able to keep in contact with those that are not able to be at the games with them. Um, so again, it may be sparking a lot of other emotions that necessarily don't, I say, may not appear in the lead-up to games. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see do the athletes abide by it because they're also suggesting that they should come up with different email accounts um, again in the lead up to the games and just have it for the duration of the games. It's all very unusual. I think it's, um, again, it's not something I've ever come across really. And I don't think I've ever seen the advice given in any other context um, to athletes. So obviously... I'm getting on a bit. I've seen a fair few uh, summer or winter Olympics cycles come round, and um, I can't recall at any other time really in history where athletes have been given this advice. So, yes, I think, like you said, the, the COVID restrictions sound like a, con a uh, convenient cover for other concerns around <laughs> cybersecurity. I'm just, is it, in your opinion, do you think it's, it's more about um, bringing like viruses and um, uh, malware back to the UK, so uh, or, or uh, the states or any country basically, um, rather than the information that's actually being presented at the time on those phones. Because I would imagine that the athletes are going to be going into an Olympic village. There's not really a huge amount of requirement I wouldn't have thought for track and trace because given the restrictions around COVID, what we saw in the Summer Olympics was that athletes really weren't allowed out of the camp, uh, out of the uh, out of the Olympic Village for anything other than to train or to eat. Um, so the whole kind of tracking movement just seems a very unusual one to me. What's your thoughts on any of that? Some interesting points of different investigations depending on which articles you're reading, but what one that stood out to me was around the lines that the national security of China is not necessarily designed with Western kind of values of privacy, etc. in mind. So maybe it's a case the games are there, but something that kind of stands out to me at this moment in time is how is this only appearing now? The games obviously have been planned and scheduled for a long time. Individuals know it's been taken, but all of a sudden it seems to be a an increase in this sort of activity or potential concerns around the activity is it covid related it, as you mentioned that may be the flag that they're trying to fly um it may be a case of there there's other activities going on but again the villages surely they can control the servers networks in and out of that village that, that those can be potentially monitored also do they really, as you mentioned, really need it? People are tested, they're in, they're out, they, they're all in that sort of wider bubble, if you, if you like. Is it a case of maybe looking at what maybe is brought back? Um, Olympic Games have happened in many other countries that there's different societies, cultures all mingle and merge, and we haven't yet, and correct me if I'm wrong, heard of anything coming back in a negative sense among athletes. 
Um, so I'm not too sure about that front either. No, it's all very unusual. Okay, uh, let's move on to our next story then. So this is the the situation with um, Chancel and Bemba, uh, the Porto player and, and former Newcastle player. Um, so when I was reading this, I got a sense of deja vu because I was sure that I'd heard this story before back in his Newcastle days and um, and I think this has dogged him for his career. So what, what's your understanding of what's going on at the moment? I think some people have probably heard it four times or five times now at this stage. Absolutely. Um, my understanding is that the, what the official documents originally said, what was reported and what has kind of followed through transfers, etc. And also what the player has since come out and stated, basically highlight a number of frequent inconsistencies. Um, whether it be the player, the report and the official documents, but there doesn't seem to be an agreement of which age is actually appropriate, or appropriate is probably not the right word, uh, of which age is the legitimate accurate. age, yeah, yeah, yeah accurate, yeah. legitimate age of the individual. Um, obviously, the player has since, I think, gone for bone tests uh, to try and prove and look at that, but again, where were they done? Who did them? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Have you ever heard of bone tests before to age individuals? Because that was a new <laughs> one on me. We should have got Ferguson for this one, being a, an expert in bone health. But I yeah, know that our bones could even age us. Is that is that something you'd come across before? Yes, but through the sense of archae- uh, archaeological digs. Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, what, how does a bone test even work? Like, what, what are they? What are they taking from our bones to test this? Are those like? Do you, do you have any idea of what happens on a bone test? Because I have no idea at all. No, pass. Uh, I have a vague <laughs> understanding, but I could probably set myself up. <laughs> Definitely yeah. not my area. I've got I, some kind of vision of like cutting through a bone and counting the rings like the, the <laughs> yeah denchronology <laughs> as in the trees or whatever yeah um, um, i'm gonna guess it's something to do with the, the minerals the, the bone marrow the the calciums etc but again pff, by far from from my area yeah. um but yeah i know archaeology archaeological digs and or previous excavations will can use bones to identify age yeah. uh to place it how yeah. that is done in a living being uh how that's done in elite athlete the complications it may have on performance and bone health yeah again they're all sort of questions when i saw saw that i was like that surely was painful and surely there must be some consequences yeah no fair play to the lad uh so let me let me go through so first of all mbemba was registered by his two first clubs in congo um which i think has now got a different name uh we'll, we'll check that in a bit and come back to that um has been born in 1988. His date of birth was listed as the 30th of November 1991 uh, for an Africa Cup of Nations qualifier back in 2011. And Newcastle and Porto all put him down as being born on August 8th, 1994. Um, while some of his friends have come out previously and said that he was born in the year 1990. Um, and like you said, um, he's taken various tests and, and tried to, to prove his age uh, through other means. How does it get into such a situation like this? Like, I know, I know, it's not always easy, depending on your upbringing, uh, to know 
to know exactly when you were born. Um, but ballpark, like this is a fair old range from 1988, uh, from yeah 1988 through to 1994. There's a, that's a six year age range. Um, surely, surely, as you would know as a six year old, what year it is. Like I've got a five year old son, and I'm pretty sure that he could tell you it's 2022. So from that point onwards, you could realise. Like I've I've definitely been around since 2022 because I'm five and I know that so <laughs> it just sounds very very suspicious to me um, that it's such a, a wide range. Um, I saw one of the comments around basically because he's a successful successful African player that there's a, um, he feels there's been lots of attempts to discredit him. Like I don't know. Have you heard any other kind of reasons for why? given for why there's such this range in age i haven't heard much around the why there's such a range in age but some of the points to you there kind of resonate that yes there's different circumstances different upbringings different backgrounds different cultures etc but at some stage that individual is just a child hopefully being getting the opportunity to engage in an education system etc etc so there would be other rec records there the, that individual was not always a professional athlete however i do understand what you're saying in terms of there's a lot of limelight now but again that is because they are a professional they are getting paid to do what's doing and ultimately it comes down to the longevity of what they potentially the sports scientists potentially think that he or she will be able to do for x number of duration based off their current age i am um, the, the ones that also float around when you're talking there John is why is there such scrutiny if he is doing what he is doing at this age does yes obviously it's in an ideal situation and probably comes down to um, the the ethical questions that a number of individuals may have but if he's doing what he's doing on the field is there such a need to identify and stamp and seal this age what, what difference does it make to other individuals if it is some discrepancy in the age obviously a six-year gap is very very different and particularly if they are playing for an under 23s and averted commas mm. th that may have some implications yeah but that's that's yeah exactly that's a long time gone for him um i guess well i guess maybe these stories keep coming up when clubs are looking to move him on um and it's a convenient kind of narrative for them to to pedal um I'm not sure though, because it feels a bit like he's playing at Porto. I'm sure there are other clubs that would be interested in taking him without necessarily having to resort to these kinds of tactics. It just, it all seems a very unusual one again. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to put myself in the player's position as well and thinking about what it must be like to constantly have to have to defend your age um, within a Western culture. Um, uh, and having people like us uh, and not not we're not necessarily criticizing um but having clubs and uh club executives and teammates potentially all questioning your reasons and motives for why you're doing what you're doing it it can't be a particularly nice experience um for the guy but equally i can understand why he would want to promote himself as being in the prime of his career for as, as long as possible because you know football careers are short right and um and you want to be paid for the optimal amount of 
a wage and all that kind of stuff for as long as you possibly can. So I, I can understand both sides of the coin. But it does sound like a, a ver very unusual one. Have you heard about anything about why why Porto are, uh, have suddenly started raising these questions now? Is it uh, is it that they're looking to move him on, or or what's your take on that? Yeah, yeah. I think just going back to the first one, John, for me, you were saying it must be difficult for players. This this is obviously going on for nine years or more. Um, the first one was launched around obviously the the Olympic Games uh, to see what the eligibility for under twenty threes. Um, that's maybe when things got a little bit complicated. Maybe records didn't align. That somebody may have tried to con cover something up, or who knows? I'm speculating, but. Given the fact that this seems to be rare in its head around the time of transfers, yeah, one hundred percent accurate. The individual has played, I think, shy of sixty times for Newcastle. Now is going to Porto. Don't know what the current form in Porto is like. If AC Milan are originally in, are interested, according to reports, and now the age is soon, that individual must be still of some quality and be playing a decent standard. It's not as if they were working their way down the leagues. There's still a very high-profile club playing some very attractive football. So why is Porto doing this? I think you've touched and hit the nail on the head. It's, it suits them. Um, it comes down to money. Maybe contract negotiations are potentially breaking down, and maybe this is an opportune moment to have some, I guess, the upper hand in negotiations. Exactly, because like you say, these, these rumours have been floating around for years and Porto would have known this. They would have done their due diligence and not signing players on uh, millions of pounds worth of contracts without doing their background checks. So it just seems unusual to suddenly drop it now. And um, I guess this is a bad sports show, right? So sometimes it's bad sportsmanship uh, or sportspersonship on the athletes front but also sometimes it's the executive sometimes it's the clubs um sometimes it's the the policy makers and the rule makers more broadly and in this case it, it doesn't seem clear who is necessarily pushing this argument currently but they're um it does seem an unusual one for exactly as you say if Milan are interested in i mean they're, they're prepared to pay his salary now does it really matter mm. how old i think you've touched upon it there porto would have done their due diligence however prior to that Newcastle obviously would have done their, their due diligence and checked the processes and made sure. Uh, and then prior to that, when this, I think, I believe all started was around the change of birthdays for the Olympic Games, FIFA also did an investigation. Given the fact that there is no concurrent and or solid or concrete findings, there's a lot of speculation still there. The, again, the reports of the player, the reports of the clubs, different individuals having a say, it's... It's it's very interesting that these all seem to be around the time of transfers and or when elite competition is coming up. Is the individual a threat to, to others in terms of the place that they are taking in the club, the wages that they're willing to pay? Do they need to, I guess, an easy way out for some instances? But yeah, it can't be easy for him. Um, if, if he's constantly doing it on the field, as we both have kind of alluded to, is there that need and drive to actually really, really find the answer here? Um, but equally, given the fact that the player and friends and close ones, what their findings and insights and comments don't align to the official documentation, that doesn't help us support the player or, have a, or leave him alone. It's, <laughs> it's like a sort of a double-edged sword approach. I, I guess as well, um, 
got thinking back of other ways bone tests for testing uh, age i'm not so sure but i'm also aware of dental records so maybe that's the next one we'll see <laughs> i don't know it's all um it all seems very messy and likewise if ac milan are going to sign him or any other team they're going to give him a contract for the length of time where they 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 do their fitness test they're going to see the level of uh, current fitness they will make their own predictions based on what they see during those tests it kind of doesn't really make any difference every, every like everybody's individual um in terms of their physiological makeup um and it just it just seems a very strange one to me if they if they had any concerns signing him at ac milan just give him a two-year deal give him a one-year deal if, if that's if that's if you're concerned don't give him a don't give him a five-year deal if you think that he's potentially 33 years old it's just i don't know anyway a 33 year old has played over 100 times for the club that he's leaving to so <laughs> yeah exactly exactly if he's, it's just it's just a strange one you've you've always got the value that you've that the person is prepared to pay so it just doesn't make a huge amount of sense okay on to our last topic then so as i said former arsenal barcelona um i put west ham in the mix just because i'm a west ham fan and it's nice to put them in with that kind of company um player alexander song uh came out this week and basically said he really didn't care uh about playing or, or being or, or um the clubs that he he played for towards the end of his career because really it was just about uh earning the money and, and the prestige and and all of that kind of things so my question to you really is does that matter do you want to say that he was on loan at west ham John as well that you didn't actually sign him, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, it wasn't a great signing even on loan. So uh, I just wanted to wanted to throw West Ham in with the company. Really. Thank you for that, Owen. No, that, no problem. You're, you're all there. Um, <laughs> is it necessary um, in terms of? Do you want to repeat that one, John? I was just line, lining you up. I, I got excited with my West Ham comment. <laughs> uh, is it? Does it matter really if players if players are of performing on the pitch, does it matter if they what their motivations for doing so are? Um, obviously, we would love it if players all loved the club and loved the shirt and all this kind of stuff. But actually, if they're performing, does it really matter if if they are just there collecting a, a check? Okay. Fundamentally, for me, the bit the very interesting thing that you've said there is on the pitch. Um, yes, he is obviously training, so he's available for selection. He is still making the bench. However. How often has he actually been on the pitch performing? That being said, the individual, when they went on loan again to West Ham or during the days with the Gunners, would have had to perform on the pitch to get to where they are. Obviously started off in the academy journey, worked their way up in terms of uh, status, positioning in the team, alongside that wages, contracts, etc. would have improved and increased. Hence the fact they were offered a gig to go to Barcelona. Um, maybe it's in the latter stages of career when they feel that they've made it. Is that acceptable? Can they do that? Biggest thing for that you said to me is that they're actually performing on the pitch. This conversation and story seems to be the fact that he's not on the pitch and he's watching what's going on the pitch. Yeah, I, I take that. Maybe in this case, it's it's not the best example. I think I'm combining other examples. So I remember uh, Benoit Asu Akoto at, at Tottenham a few years back. And there must be something about North London clubs here as well. Um, but he came out openly and said, 
No, I, I, I've fallen out of love with football. I don't, I don't enjoy training. I don't enjoy playing anymore. Um, but he was still their best left back, and he was still doing a decent job. But he got a lot of criticism at the time for saying that that it's just a job. He doesn't, he just doesn't love it anymore. And I, I like, I can understand that. From these these players have been involved in the game from a very, very young age. Um, and if by the time you're in your late twenties, early thirties, you're starting to get a bit sick of the traveling. Um, the routine, the 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 requirements, like I get it. I think I think lots of young people feel the same way about um, uh, ar- around jobs. They want more stability. They want more kind of um, home life. Um, these guys with, with might have young families and all these kinds of things. And actually, football provides a great deal of um, opportunity and rewards, of course. But obviously, playing at the likes of Barcelona, he's going to be playing sixty games a season potentially, or possibly on the bench for 60 games but it still requires traveling all around uh all around europe and potentially all around the world uh being away from family training making sacrifices and i know they get rewarded but they're still human beings at the end of the day right 100 percent um the individual i believe now is 33 34 um so it has been a, a long journey they were at arsenal for i'm going to say seven or eight years um at arsenal long process the individual had to obviously work hard as we've mentioned to, to get to there um, but again my academic head now is kicking in and looking at all of the achievement goal context motivational climates etc etc clearly this particular individual uh, and some of the others that you, you've mentioned before maybe that ego performance climate demonstrating superiority wanting to gain that <clears throat> excuse me, wanting to gain all of the rewards that are associated. So very much extrinsic rather than that inherent passion or love for the sport. That being said, there may be times where, well, they obviously had to love the sport to get involved with it unless they were forced potentially by very, very pushy parents, but the likelihood of, of them achieving and also maintaining engagement or involvement, if it was that orientation, was probably very, very slim. Can, can an individual do that? Can they see it as a job? Well, at the end of the day, yes, they have a very different style lifestyle, um, but they come under a lot of scrutiny. There's a lot of pressures of being, obviously, as we've heard, um, both current and former professionals talking about the pressures and um, the different scrupulations that they may be put under as a professional sports person. I have no doubt that that gets tiresome. Um, so if that individual's way to stay motivated is looking at the paycheck to ultimately maybe support themselves, support their family, support their children, is that necessarily a bad thing? However, if they are coming out at this moment in time, they're not representing the club, they are maybe being seen to be disrespectful to the club, the jersey, the badge, the fans, well, that's maybe when things get a little bit contentious and it doesn't sit well with a number of people. Yeah, I, yeah. I agree, and I think, I think it's, it is a job, but it's also more than a job. Um, being a professional athlete or a professional footballer in this case, um, and that's, that is part that is part and parcel of the of the job. Everybody knows what they're what they're getting themselves into. I don't. Know, I think I just have a bit of sympathy, really, because you know, you can your motivations for things fluctuate over time. It's not a linear thing, is it? You're not. Maybe he f- was out of love with the game at this point. Maybe he just made a couple of bad career moves and ended up in an environment that just didn't suit. And actually that can happen to anybody, right? Yeah. hundred um, percent. And with the right, co- right context, it could have just re- reignited his, 
his passion for the game because, like you said, it's very difficult to get where you get without no love at all for the game in the first place. And equally, the thing that surprised me is that there's no context into what he's like in the training ground, what he's like with his teammates. Obviously, there's only 11 individuals that can play on that particular team, but who knows, in the dressing room, on the training field, he he could be a real contributor. Just the fact that he's not crossing that white line week in, week out, Again, maybe speculating here, but it just seems to be a very snapshot picture of an individual. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, on on that note, I think uh, thank you very much for your input today. I think we've we've dug into a couple of uh, interesting stories that have popped up this week, and um, if uh, if there is anything that any of our listeners find out about or hear about or want us to talk about, then we are very happy to hear from them. We're on all of the social media platforms under Bad Sports Show, so you can come and find us and uh, obviously give us a, a subscribe on wherever you subscribe to your podcast episodes as well and tell your friends and all that kind of stuff. Um, okay, uh, last week I didn't have time to ask you, but there was a story you sent through to me um, beforehand, just like I'm asking from the listeners, about uh, Jose Mourinho. Um, and I think as we've got a, a couple of minutes, hopefully today, it might be worth uh, just picking up on that for, for a second. Um, so, so what was, what was the story you wanted to, to talk about last week? <laughs> yeah, the Jose Mourinho, it was sparked by obviously current form. Um, then there was a press conference, a couple of articles came out, listening to other radio shows, etc., And just, there's a couple of things that fell into place around Jose that initially, Big drama around the transfer um, of Jose from one club to the other. Lots of hype, lots of commentary, but it's nearly like he likes the chase and likes getting the job, but seems to doesn't like always necessarily doing the job. Uh, initial stages, again, lots of hype, lots of media. And then when things start potentially not going in the direction of the special one's desired pathway, I am um, starts flipping the and pointing the finger at players, uh, and the common one that seems to be coming is their psychological stability and or robustness, resilience, perseverance. Depending on what language you're using, they're kind of all thrown out there in terms of what is the mental toughness and or they're deemed to be mentally weak. Mm. I think this one's probably caught both of our interest as as people that uh, that study character. Um, I think Mourinho often uses the word character that my players lack character. Um, and we've spoken to before about the um, the lack of accuracy in the use of that term. So what do you, so you've kind of alluded to some of the things there. What do you think Mourinho means when he says my players lack character? They probably lack a desire to play for him in the, ma- in the manner that he's asking them to play. Um, maybe when Josie says they lack character, it's probably not a buy-in or a demonstration of the behaviours, attributes, skills, tech-tack that he so wishes them to display and or at the intensity he wishes them to display. However, what he is asking is that within that individual's particular remit, have they got the physical, technical, tactical competencies to fulfil his particular ask? Um, obviously, no disrespect to Roma, but he's at a very different club to where he's been previously. Um, there's pros and cons associated, obviously, with their playing style and the league, etc., that they're in. But it seems that he doesn't adapt for different leagues, doesn't adapt to different players. It's the Jose way, and then if they are unable to do that, then they become under scrutiny. 
So I think it's a mixed message, a lack of appreciation for who's the recipient. Isn't that isn't arguably that a good thing though? Like the clarity in the, the, the in his vision, you wouldn't want somebody that was flip flopping around like. Uh, being a different person from one week to the next, like tailoring himself, he has a he has a clear identity for what he wants to do and and who he is and what he expects from athletes. Is, isn't that almost a good thing, though? Yes, if the ask meets the skills um, that are potentially available to be deployed by that particular individual. Otherwise, if you're doing is it what's the old saying? If you're doing the same 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 thing over and over again, expecting a different result, uh, there's a bit of madness floating in there. So. The best coaches will adapt. Yes, they will have obviously their core playing style. You can look at your Bielsa's, the type that they look, but look at the time it's taken to develop squads, develop playing styles. This is all happening within two, three weeks, um, sometimes within a six-week period. And then the finger is turned and it's looking at the player's lack of ability rather than what can he do to work with the players he has inherited. Yeah, I think that's that's a good point. So. It's all it's all about fit fundamentally, isn't it? It's about fit between the coach's values and and uh, beliefs around how he wants to play or she wants to play, and how he uh, his players or her players uh, want to approach the game and and training and all these different things. But because um, I think there's un- undoubtedly he's a talented coach. He he hasn't won the competitions. He has there's endless amounts of players that have come out and support him at various times. He's he is a talented coach across many levels. However blaming players and or kind of having that direct confrontational style approach because of I guess the persona of what he's done and who he is and what he brings to the table would other coaches do that would they be allowed to do that so what makes Jose being able to single out particular players and essentially start questioning their psychological stability I don't know if he has a degree or expertise in that area but again they're very broad and sometimes offensive comments and or insights that he's sharing with the press about his team which surely he's there to protect mm, i think yeah so in the past i've always I, I find Mourinho an absolutely fascinating character i should declare this from the get-go but um i think there's always two sides of everything with Mourinho. that he's always de- he like i like the fact that he's demanding excellence he's he's demanding high performance from his from his players and i think if he's not seeing that then he's right to to give them a, a nudge fundamentally and 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 to call that out. How you do that though, for me, you're going to lose trust if you're doing that to the media rather than to the players directly. But we obviously don't know what's yeah. going on in the background. I was literally know, just about to say it. Yeah, I was. You, I was thinking as you were talking there, and the more in the wider reflections, is Mourinho taking the pe- pressure he offers players? by putting himself in the limelight to come under this scrutiny so you and I are having these conversations about him and is he actually taking the time behind the scenes to build those relationships for those relationships again like the previous insights around uh, some of the topics we've covered today and in previous ones we just get a snapshot of what the media want us to say but is that truly what's happening in the training ground Who, who knows yeah, absolutely. I always find it really, especially with that. Again, you made the point about is he protecting his players? Like we, so some of the research I've done in the past is around like impression management and and uh, self presentation. And I would, it it appears to me that Mourinho has presented the impression to to uh, of um or um created dramas where there aren't dramas or 
blamed an official or something like that to try to take the pressure away or take the focus away from players or himself potentially. I think he's he is the master of this, regardless of how successful he is as a, as a coach and all these things that, that have happened since. Uh, throughout his career, I think the one of the things that we will all look back on is with not necessarily fondness because I think he's just changed the game in the way that um, that the way that coaches interact and, and manage the media. Um, I would say we've not had a coach that that works like this since Brian Clough in in, in uh, English football. Um, but he's a he's a fascinating character. Okay, that was a, a bit of an aside there um, and uh, gone a little bit over over the target time now but it was worth the, the little conversation anyway because it's uh, always fascinating to talk about Mourinho so thank you very much Owen for your um, time today and um, tune in next week everybody for another episode of the Bad Sports Show thanks very much <laughs>